Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I am Tyler. I am Alex. And I am Britton. <laughs> Alex, you said that with such excitement. Declarative. And I am Alex. And I, I'm I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. I really love the like self-advocacy in your... You're really leaning in, and I respect that. You know, it's just I, I've I've got to I've got to express the energy I feel about the movie we just watched. And you want to yeah. give you, this movie really taught you the importance of introducing a character with verve and enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all this movie is. is oh verve man, and enthusiasm. it's just so excited it, about everything it does. Yes, um, the, <laughs> the movie, two words I would use to describe it: <laughs> the movie, verve and enthusiasm. The movie we are talking about, which I think. Uh, We've got a lot to get into here. There's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hair in my mouth. <laughs> it's, an, it's an appropriate start to the film, the discussion of the film. Um, the movie we're talking about is Fantastic Four from 2015, uh, perhaps better and more colloquially, colloquially known as Fan Four Stick, based on the promotional materials. Moving forward, we shall refer to it as Fan Four Stick. Uh, Alex, would you like to tell us some things about Fan Four Stick? I, I, I can certainly tell you some things about Van Forstick. <laughs> Van Forstick was directed by Josh Trank. Kind of. Uh, from 2015, it has a 9% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, put that in the Trank bank. <laughs> did, did they do something like, uh, somebody needed a Trank dart for this movie? I'm sure there is a snippy... Uh, yeah, big me- pretty... big media outlet review of this movie that uses that at some point has, like has the final less stinger, yeah. like something something along those lines of you'd it'd be easier for you to just go trink yourself. Or, well, apparently you know. the movie was a trink dart of sorts. Tyler, you were watching it with your wife, and she told us she fell asleep. Yeah, within <laughs> ten minutes. Maybe, <laughs> Did not take long. Um, uh, but I think I think even more impactful than the nine percent is the eighteen percent audience score. Now, normally for like <laughs> twice as many the, people saw it than critics. <laughs> the reason I say that is because a lot of times with these bad movies, there there is actually a pretty big difference between the scores. Like normally, you get some people in the audience that are like, "No, it was actually fine." Like the example I point to. Um, because it's got the recommendations or you might also like on the Rotten Tomatoes page. It shows Transformers Age of Extinction, which has a 17% critic score, but then a 50% audience mm-hmm. score. So it's like, no, yeah. that movie's terrible, but there is there's a def- bit of a difference defenders. there. Whereas with this movie, it's like, no, 18% audience score. It's it bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into it. It's It's... It's a fascinating trank wreck. Uh, Britain, would you like to tell us what I think the I'm heck gonna, this film is? I think I need to bleep that. Alex, I think I think I can stand. Oh, wait, what, what's that? Alex, I think you're being served. <laughs> There's a subpoena from Joke Court. It, is, it, is it better if I didn't think about that beforehand? Like, that wasn't planned. No, sure. That was, that was all... That was all Alex improv, like 100% pure. Yeah. Alex, tell me again how much you liked Bullet Trank. <laughs> Joe Cord holds real comedians accountable. <laughs> Terrible jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Carrot Top presiding. I'll allow it. But the gavel makes like a squeaky Pr- noise. Pr- would you like to give it a, a synopsis? Oh, guys, you know, I'd love to. 
Uh, and the synopsis for Fanforestic reads thus. Transported to an alternate universe, four young outsiders were... You, you know exactly what you're getting already. Four mm-hmm. young outsiders gain superhuman powers as they alter their physical form in shocking ways. Oh, we're going to get into this. Reed Richards becomes Mr. Fantastic, able to stretch and twist his body at will. Mm-hmm. You know, like people. While... While pal Ben Grimm gains immense strength as the thing, Johnny Storm becomes the Human Torch, able to control and project fire, while his sister Sue becomes the Invisible Woman. They don't describe her powers, you can kind of figure it out. Together, the team must harness their new abilities to prevent Doctor Doom from destroying the Earth. I want to make very clear, there is more vervin enthusiasm in that synopsis. (laughs) Is that... Are you 100% sure that's not the synopsis for the Roger Corman Fantastic Four? All the pictures next to it are of our very gray friends. I was going to (laughs) say, like, that description is also technically not accurate. Sue does not go with them to the alternate dimension to get their powers. And also, only two of them are given their name. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Able to stretch Uh. and twist his body at will. It sort of feels like that is the pitch uh, sure. That was sent around, and then they were like, "Yeah, we'll fill in fill in the blanks later." I'm gonna immediately derail this before we get into it because the movie re- immediately derailed me. Um, the movie begins the very first thing we experience after the Marvel logo, that is the uh-huh. old classic Marvel logo that was used in front of all the bad Marvel movies before the MCU. <laughs> <happened>. uh, <laughs> that uh, and Electra and Electra. <laughs> oh, is that on our list? Hang on. Keep, keep going. <laughs> um, the uh, the movie starts on a black screen, and you're hearing a kid say, when I grow up, I want to be like Eli Manning, my hero, the quarterback for the New York Giants. It's, it's something along those lines, right? And this is happening while I think maybe the title card shows up during this port part. And the like production credits and stuff. There, there's a couple of things that show up as it's doing this, and then we we cut to a classroom, and the 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 bottom of the thing, the the caption. It's like a weirdly placed caption. Yes. Uh, for a time and place. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you would call that normally in a movie, but it's like a title uh, card, uh, I guess. T- yeah, a title card where uh, you know you're showing the scene, and then something shows up to tell you like this is where when it happens, and this is is the. Uh, the place it's happening at it, it it looks weird whatever moving on this movie has a lot of weird effects it says oyster bay new york 2007 now eli manning was drafted in 2004 as there is some trades and stuff but basically he was drafted and went to the giants in 2004 the new york giants coming from ole miss don't believe we're talking about an, an Ole Miss fan in Oyster Bay, New York. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Up to that point, Eli Manning, in 2004, he had played in eight games and lost seven of them. In 2005, uh, the Giants made the playoffs, and in the, in the first round, first game they played, he threw three interceptions, and they got bounced out. In 2006, they, they made the playoffs again, and he at least didn't look as terrible in the first game, which they lost again. And then in 2007, he had continued to look very middling. He would end up throwing uh, 20 interceptions to 23 touchdowns in the 2007 regular season. He would go on to win the Super Bowl that season. The Gi- the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl 
at the uh, in the postseason of the 2007 regular season. But all of those games happened in 2008. And based on what we're looking at in this in the scene, it seems like it's probably earlier. It's hard to say, you know, exactly when it would be. It, uh-huh. Obviously, we're we're probably talking about the fall. If we're talking about the spring, I don't know what this kid's doing. <laughs> but if it's like a fall semester thing, then maybe, you know, they're they're they had a hot streak at one point during the season, so maybe the kid's just excited about that and he wants to talk about football. But like get some standards, kid. Like at this point, Eli Manning was <laughs> was like not something that you're you're hanging your hat on as like this amazing like NFL star. I just that I spent literally five minutes digging back this like that doesn't sound right. What are, what's happening here? Oh, when I went over Tyler. to Tyler's last night, I almost tripped on all the yarn he was using to connect the <laughs> pictures on the corkboard in his Tyler. toddler's room. He was like, no, 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 I gotta use this. This space is more important for this. Tyler, that was that is like the cherry on top of that entire scene because that. Like, none of that. That scene just doesn't make sense. No, it's like, there are scene. so many just questions <laughs> in in the intro scene to set everything up. And that, just not having that, and the fact that you researched that and had to, that to present to the class today. <laughs> well, listen, you may, I bet if you had pre- presented that in class, maybe uh, you would have been better liked by the meanest teacher on the planet. I, literally, the, <laughs> my first note, which was then followed by, wait, what year? say this was and then me going down the rabbit hole uh my first note that i took for this movie is why is the teacher so mean he's so because mean the teacher dan, is very mean it's dan castell it's dan castellanetta from the simpsons and futurama and stuff tremendous but like it's like mr uh, mr fantastic reed gets up there to do his presentation what he wants to do when he grows up and he's like oh i want to uh make a quantum whatever nonsense he says mm. and and the teacher's like no, that's not what I wanted you to do. That's not the assignment. And also it's wrong. The science is bad and you're ugly and it's your fault. Your body's changing. Like he's so, it's, he's so nasty to this kid. And then later when they flash forward to the science fair, um, when they're teenagers, yes. um, Dan Castellaneta. <laughs> that's is, a funny way to say 30 year old. Yeah. Dan Castellaneta is still his teacher. Yes. It's like, still yeah. his it's teacher, like, and still he witnesses yeah. them teleport something into another plane of existence, yep. and then teleport it back, and then it's still like, this is crap. Yeah. You're obviously just using mirrors. <laughs> Get out of here. It's You're so crazy. He's like the Negafini or something, just following them through their lives to be terrible to them. Very strange. Yeah, I, it, to me, it comes off as... Josh Trank's whole angle with this movie was he was attracted to the Fantastic Four through the lens of them being outsiders, through them being different from everyone. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm assuming that this is not affected by reshoots, or at least that that opening scene with the kids. I'm assuming that's just him pushing it to the nth degree, and it just gets over the top and ridiculous, where even the teacher hates Reed. Like, all the kids are making fun of him yeah. um, kind of before that, but even the teacher dislikes him. Which, any teacher worth their salt would, would try and encourage him, yeah. even if he is saying these outlandish things. But it's like, he is more likely to become a scientist than the kid before him is going to become a, a professional football player. Oof, Charles, like Charles Barkley yes. over here. <laughs> no, yeah, well, but, but you're right, and like... 
he's also doing the job. He's doing. He's in like fourth grade or whatever. It <laughs> yeah. Is. And the, I also really like in that scene because he gets laughed at. He gets laughed back to his seat, and then young Ben Grimm gives him is looking at him, and we're supposed to get this idea if he's like, oh, okay, like a kindred spirit. But instead, he looks like, what's he on? This read. What's going <laughs> Something's on? Something's wrong with this kid. Hmm, I wonder if I could. And then we find out that Ben has an abusive older brother who says in the most forced way, and I God bless the actor for having to do this, but like, hey, I didn't tell you to do that. It's clobbering time. Yes. <laughs> when he's uh, about to abuse his brother, and then his mom comes in and she's like, hey, Louie, what are you doing? Why are you at the why are you at my son? It's just one, the whole one of thing my, is cartoonish. One of my other night or other notes is hate 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 this usage of clobbering time uh that's not the only time in these notes that i use uh, <laughs> i start a note with hate 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 yeah uh so we'll get back to that <laughs> well because he's trying this movie feels to me like what i assume the power rangers reboot from a few years ago felt like um where everything i imagine that movie's better but this like what if we took this fun thing but it was like hard you know just like <laughs> hard and they were dealing with, like, real problems. But it doesn't have the grace or the nuance to deal with those problems. Right. Yeah. And so we just, we get the sense that Ben lives at an auto shop and it, it's like a dead An auto family. shop with two signs. Two, <laughs> signs. two signs that say Grim. There's a big neon side yeah. sign in front. And then there's also a big sign that says Grim Salvage. That's like a more right. normal sign on the on the actual building. Well, one one is they... the literal text of the film. <laughs> to let you know what mood you're in for, but Look, you, you get you get them in the door with the neon sign, and then they stay for the the building. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't know what business this is, but I gotta find out. Look at that shiny thing. That <laughs> I've eaten at Arby's so many times just because they got that big hat. <laughs> Look, I I get it too. I mean, we 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 have all worked at a movie theater in the past uh, and have had the experience of setting out a sign uh, for people to go you know, inside to go do something where we're running things differently and not having the ticket booth open and then still seeing people walk up and stand directly True. in front of the sign and look over the sign and just stare at the ticket booth wondering what's going on. Right. I, I get it. Sure. But I can't help but wonder if maybe they spent a little bit too much on the fancy giant neon sign <laughs> and could, could could have maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that's, the, that's the flashback scene we needed is his dad being like, no, you, you got to spend money to make money. You with these dreams of neon signs. What about <laughs> our boy? We got to put it. Where, he's, where is our boy's never going to be anything if we can't provide for him. And his dad's like a dreamer who just wanted to have a big sign. And then that's why their lives are terrible is because he, he blew all their savings on the big sign. Where's the backstory of Reed making Ben a big sign? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it would have been great as if the thing had gotten also neon powers later. That would have been too colorful for the movie. And he was like, right. We did it, Dad. <laughs> he does. He does revisit. It's clobbering time later, which it's we'll, we'll get to, and it's yeah, not it's rough. Um, but it's so it's so bad in in the movie as it happens because maybe we should just go through this movie in sequence. That might be the best way to do it. That's probably going to end up being a lot of what we do. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to deny that, but uh, I I do want to. It's weird because that opening happens with. Reed being berated by the teacher multiple multiple times in you know a twenty minute set of events, um, and then for a movie that is about them being outsiders and about how they don't fit in, they immediately go somewhere where they're totally accepted and have total influence and power over the project that they're working on. Yeah, 
And then, except Ben's left behind because he's a loser. Yeah, except Ben's left behind, and he's kind of just having a good time. And he, like, they, they don't really show him, you know, being. I think they, there's a, there's, uh, Miles Teller. I almost said Ezra Miller. That's not correct <laughs> yeah. at all. Uh, Miles Teller uh, has a couple of gags in here that, yes, because he is Miles Teller, he makes them work. Um, there's one where he's taking a selfie. Uh, in front of the project that they're working on, the big teleporter project, and he sends it to Ben, and Ben's like, "Oh, that's so good, so proud of my friend, my friend Reed. Oh my goodness." There's there's not really a lot that we're seeing where we're seeing what Ben is up to in the background, or you know how his his life has worsened because Reed's gone on to fame and science glory and whatever. Uh, it's it's strange, and then Ben just shows up and is part of the group now. Um, but there's n- there's no interaction with the outside world, despite the fact that they're supposed to be outsiders. So right. I, it's like, what? How are you selling me on this when they all get to get along together and get unlimited resources and are never challenged? Right. In, in sort of a a similar way to their science teacher who hated them. And I, I never I don't... get this. I never understand how Sue is an outsider. We get yeah. that Johnny's like a rebel and it's, you know, his dad doesn't, he's not living up to his potential or whatever, but like, well, we don't get the so sense it, of how Sue isn't, doesn't fit in at all. They, they do get into that a little bit. The one-on-one scene with her and Reed in the library where she talks oh. about how she's listening to music and she's like, it's all about patterns and I'm able to read people because people are repetitive and they're, they're not interesting and she's not able to really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. connect with anyone. That's the idea. Now, I don't think the movie communicates it well beyond that scene. Sure, sure. Um, and I actually think that's actually kind of a, a kind of fun meet cute between the two of them. I actually like that scene quite a bit. Um, but they don't really carry it forward at all. Um, I feel like be- before we actually just like kind of go through and break down the movie, I feel like I should get into the setup of how the movie got how made. This happened. Yeah. I, I, I'll get into all the production woes later on, but just to kind of follow up here. So... Rise of the Silver Surfer didn't perform as well as they wanted, so they kind of put everything on the shelf. Several years later, Josh Trank, young up-and-comer, makes Chronicle. It has so small a budget that Fox doesn't even really mess with him at all. Kind of lets him just make the movie, and Max Landis wrote the script, and it ends up being a big hit. Um, So Josh Trank is basically offered many different movies, and apparently Amy Pascal in a meeting was just like, you should do Venom. Which is why he was technically on Venom for a while, sure. even though he was like, I, what? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, but he, uh, he basically decided to do Fantastic Four because Fox offered it to him of like, we don't really know what to do with this. Um, and he hired a co-writer named Jeremy Slater, um, who I don't know a whole lot about, but apparently... Jeremy Slater was brought on because he had all the comic book knowledge and kind of understood the Fantastic Four and what it was have, all about. Have we encountered him before? Why does the name ring a bell? Uh, I can look him up. Um, I'll, I'll look him up. Continue. Carry on. But basically him and Josh Trank butted heads the whole time while writing the script because Josh Trank got very attached to this outsider and also body horror element of the Fantastic Four, and he wanted to, you know, go at it that way. And basically, anytime Jeremy Slater was like, 
there's some interesting lore. There's Doctor Doom and all all this this cool stuff. All these villains and they go to all these crazy worlds and they have these super wacky adventures. Basically, Josh Trank was not interested in any of that. Um, so he kind of just <laughs> pushed the mythology to the side, which theoretically, if you make a good movie, that stuff shouldn't matter. But it's the Fantastic Four and it's just like a cheesy sci-fi thing. I feel like you should just embrace it mm-hmm. like the Corman movie did instead yeah. of trying to go this way. But um, so apparently that's how Josh Trank pitched it to the studio and the studio accepted it and was like, yes, we we like your vision. Go for it. Apparently the rule for retaining the rights to Fantastic Four was based on when they started production, not on the release date. So they had to start making the movie on a particular date. So Josh Trank is writing the script, and apparently Fox is starting to get cold feet, and he says that they cut the budget, and a lot of this stuff I'm getting from a mix of kind of YouTube videos of people covering this, and then there's also an interview that he did with Polygon called The Post-Disaster Artist um, that I recommend... Um, that came out around the time of Capone where he's kind of reflecting on everything that happened to him. Um, But he says that apparently they cut some of the budget like right before or soon before they started production, um, which meant that a lot of the action sequences got cut and apparently the entire third act just kind of got gutted. And Fox basically said, we'll fix it in reshoots. So... That's why the movie, as they shot it, didn't have a third act. Like, the script was just, like, completely cut down right before they started. Gotcha. (laughs) Which which explains so much. Because the way I had heard it beforehand, it sounded like the production was such a mess, they just weren't able to shoot the third act. I didn't realize that that part of the script had literally been cut out and they were going to cut and paste something else later. Um, so I think all of that is important before we actually break down what the heck happened. Yes, (laughs) it is. The, the movie I think is a similar idea, vibe, concept to Suicide Squad 2016 Mm. in that it didn't, I don't think there's a hidden gem to be, yeah uncovered if everything was polished and edited differently and if uh the directors had had full creative control and been able to do everything i think we see enough of what the goal was to know that that was never going to be the case could probably be more competent and a little bit less just totally baffling yeah but i don't think there is a oh if this if this had been done if if we got the trank cut you know we could really save this and it would be actually really interesting i don't well believe that is so I think the big difference is, at least with Suicide Squad, David Ayer shot everything he wanted to shoot. Like, he shot his script. And I mean, the same thing with with the Snyder Cut. Like, Zack Snyder shot, aside from the extra baggage that he added when they were like, all right, here's more money to to finish it. Um, But with this movie, it's literally, they shot two-thirds of it in production. Like, they didn't have everything complete by the time they got to the editing room. So, like, there literally is no Trank cut. Like, there's his assembly of whatever he shot, but it's not a complete film. Yeah. I'm just uh, thinking about, like, the dialogue in general. Uh, (laughs) I I think there is a lot that doesn't work. However, 
Jeremy Slater, I discovered, is the head writer for Moon Knight. Which explains nothing. Because (laughs) Moon Knight's much better than this. Yeah. (laughs) He also apparently wrote the Death Note movie from a few years ago. He's had a journey. He's had an experience. He's got a color palette that he likes, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Um, But yeah, so I, I don't like that they instantly separate Ben and Reed. I feel like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner with this like, and Ben is a uh, auto shop latchkey kid, essentially. And like, that's his whole deal. Because what that means is Ben can't go with Reed to do all the science stuff. And what that also means is that later when they're going to go to the other dimension, Reed's like, guys, we have to bring my completely untested and unqualified friend because I like him a lot. Like right. it, there is, it makes absolutely, it, it made more sense in the Roger Corman movie when Ben and Reed show up to get the orphans to go to space. That makes yeah. more sense than this yes. movie. Britain, Britain, it's fine. They were drunk. It's that's, fine. That's actually, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do believe it also silly. means that except for maybe after, immediately after the teleporter explodes. And I don't even know if we see them all then. The Fantastic Four are not together on screen until the third act. Yeah. Like the, yeah, that group true. does not re does not unite uh until mm-hmm. literally Yeah, I, I think it's it... the scene where uh Franklin dies, right? Cuz cuz Doom escapes and they're all okay, we got to we got to form yeah. a team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I don't it, think it's... Sue ever meets Ben. <laughs> Not really. really, no. I mean, they, well, they, they don't are... exchange dialogues. Yeah. Or yeah, actually, there's... no. It would be in when they do the the one year time jump, which made me say, "Is this the Bratz movie? <laughs> do we just do a, a year one year later? Yes. One, yes. one year later? It's a, it's such a strange like awesome. But we're, we're probably getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. I don't know. Yes. But anyway, so I, I don't think it works to separate ben from the rest of the team so early because you you need to have all those characters together and it's i guess in some places you could argue maybe the writer would say well you know we don't if you have too many characters in one bit sure but if the too many characters are the fantastic four and victor von doom you're doing the movie right and so it just felt really bizarre like if if miles teller had been like i'm not coming to this workshop or whatever it is without ben because he's always helped me out and they're like well no he's him he's a lunkhead yeah it's it's weird that they're able to bring in ben or they're not able to bring in ben i should say but then doom shows up and he is yeah a, a hacker man who was i guess kind of blacklisted by the government sure. for doing hacking and then he shows up and re or actually I might be confusing him showing up and um, Johnny storm showing up, but they Victor both kind shows of, up first. Yeah. But they both kind of show up and are just like, we're helping now. It's like, yeah. cool. We have no salaries. This is a, <laughs> this is a uh, sort of utopian community where we right. sit around and do science and yeah, probably eat chips. Uh, <laughs> like it's, I don't know. It's weird that he couldn't be like, yeah, I need I need my my good friend Ben Ben along, and then yeah, yeah. he could bring Ben, and Ben would be the muscle doing you know holding, right? Trying to trying to hold things up, and you know you do a gag about how he's 
like, oh, I can't lift that up. And then maybe later he throws it at Doom when he's the thing. I don't know. Sure, sure. Th- these things, the Fantastic Four sets you up for a lot of fun bits. Yeah. And the movie has zero fun bits. Yeah. <laughs> it's not true, I, but it's close to it. I will also say, I, I generally like the actors they, they get for this movie. Jamie Bell, I don't think is, is I think he's a little miscast. I Just physically. Yeah. Because um, he's he's very he's lean and he's in good shape. Obviously, I don't know how tall he is, but like, Chickless, totally. I get it. I get it with Chickless. I get it with the guy in the first movie. You know, makes total sense when Ray McKinnon plays the thing in the MCU. It'll make perfect sense. But I think that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but when with with this one, I just, I I I, I don't know. I feel like just physically didn't work. All the rest of it, I think, worked fine. And I will say that. Miles Teller is not an actor who usually, like, I don't usually connect with him as an actor. I mean, I like Whiplash, but yeah, not he's not, that's for a lot of other reasons. He's not bad in it, though. Um, but I do think that that he, he does some nice bits in this, and he does some nice comedy in it. Um, he has a bit where after they successfully do the quantum, they do the science right, Kate Mara has this nice little laugh that she does, and... Michael B. Jordan goes at goes to fist bump Miles Teller. He's not even looking. He kind of pats his hand, yes. pats the fist with his hand. That's a that's a nice that's a cute little bit. Yeah. Um. And obviously Michael B. Jordan is great. Um. And yeah. Kate Mara is good. It's just they're all stranded. The, it's so. I I think, on in terms of the cast, the the problem is really just that, it's a good cast and they just have nothing to do with, any of them. I I would not yeah. really have cast have thought of miles teller as someone right. to play reed richards and i still wouldn't really say that um i think that he is he's got too much of a kind of cynical edge to him and a more somber like pulled back edge and a lot of the time when he's i feel like a lot of the time like i'm thinking of whiplash um there's a movie i cannot remember the name of it i'll have to look it up but he is in it that I watched not too long ago, and it's like a teen oh, coming of age. Oh, Spectacular or... Now. Yes, the Spectacular Now. Um, where he's got... Usually when he's doing something exuberant and yeah. joyful, the the characters he's playing have a dark yeah. edge to them, and there's something where you're kind of like, what, how is this going to go wrong? Um, that's, that's my read on him, and some of that might just be him getting typecast. I, but I don't think he really fits read yeah. in general as, as kind of a personality even though i think he's a really good actor yeah and you know michael b jordan like he works fine in this movie because he's great and he's he acts very well at whatever you point him at yeah and on paper michael b jordan's human torch is a great idea yeah if he hadn't but, already been killmonger i think we could all get excited yeah, about him doing it i again. think i think that would be neat but like it just it, it's more of a just like let's just get a good actor and then yeah. we'll look and see what roles we have to put them in right um and then, yeah, same, you know, Jamie Bell. I don't know that we even really get enough of him to understand if he could have done something well. Maybe yeah, they could yeah. bring him back for the MCU and he'd be great. Sure. I, it wouldn't shock me. Um, Alex, yeah. did you have? I was just going to say, I feel like Jamie Bell in particular is the main one who appears to be cast against type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think the idea is supposed to be and why they kind of play up the bullying when he's a little kid is he's kind of a, a small scrawny guy who suddenly becomes a big giant rock monster as opposed to, Oh, it kind of fits his personality that that's right. what he would become with this supernatural thing going on. Um, but they do nothing with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I, I, at the beginning of the movie, it felt to me like 
Miles Teller was going to be playing like the douchey fratty version of Reed. But then yeah. later on, I was like, no, I think he plays the awkwardness well and the like, I don't really get that, but okay, of Reed well. I don't, I, I guess Alex Hyde White still is probably doing the best at <laughs> so far. Possibly so, yeah. At, at getting the like, I don't know what you're talking about and I'm brilliant, but also, and Miles Teller just felt like, what? Okay. And I still, again, I think he has some nice moments in the movie. It's just, it may just come down to script and, yeah. and uh, direction. The the one who I think I actually was surprised how well she works is Kate Mara. Sure. Uh, I almost feel like, uh, you know, sans the, the wig <laughs> fiasco that we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. um, I almost feel like she could be really effective as an update of Sue Storm for a movie like this. Like, I, I think that could work and she's, she's good. And that's an interesting angle to take with the character of kind of having her be, you know, more of a, in the lab scientist person, less of kind of, you know, I'm a model who also does science. That, yeah. that just seems yeah. to be that. And that's not, I, you know, a shot at Jessica Alba necessarily. That's kind of, you know, the original comics are very right. She's a pretty lady. And she also, I mean, they, I guess they don't even really do much science with her. It's just like, sure. she's a pretty lady and we're going to do misogyny around her. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the 60s. Uh, but I, I think that's a neat idea. And I actually don't hate that approach. And I think that in a, in a better, she's the one who I'd be like, I would like to see how that would have worked in the the full full budgeted full creative control vision of this movie that uh, was supposed to be focusing on these characters as outsiders. I think that's a well, neat approach. Well, the funny thing is, if Trank really would have had full creative control, Kate Mara would not have been cast. Um, okay. Apparent. Apparently, the big push that he was going for was I I need Miles Teller's read, which the studio fought him for sure and apparently i don't know if it was a trade-off or whatever but they they were pushing for kate mara to be mm. sue and apparently he was not it for that at all and had to kind of compromise do we know because they obviously wanted dylan the net do we know who he wanted to <laughs> be sue i'm i'm not sure huh. please that I uh channing tatum actually <laughs> i mean i i um i agree I, I i liked kate mara in this i i alex pointed out to me that you can tell when it's a reshoot because she's wearing a bad wig yeah. Or an ineffective wig, I'll say. I started to yeah. identify it by, and this is not a comment on this person, but the scenes where she looks like Aaron Moriarty from The Boys are reshoots, and the scenes where she's Kate Mara. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I thought her hair, the, the like kind of fade ombre she had going on with her natural hair, I thought it looked great. And that was like a good style for her. It, yeah, to me, I mean, I am not a person who can really point out whether a wig is good or bad. I'm just sure. kind of like, it is hair that I can tell is probably not their normal hair. Yeah. Um, but I think it is, it, to me, it's just how obvious the different right. styles are. They didn't even attempt to kind of blend yes. what they were doing in one versus the other. It's very yeah. strange. Honestly, and, I did find it amusing doing the Tim Story movies where Brit and you in particular were pointing yeah. out like just how the difference in Jessica Alba's hair yeah, yeah, yeah. between the two movies. I'm like, <laughs> now imagine, we get all in one I'm, movie. Imagine all that condensed into a single yeah. 90 minute film. <laughs> but it was just funny how much, and it, it wasn't, this is again, not a comment on Aaron Moriarty's hair, but Aaron Moriarty has, Aaron Moriarty has like bright blonde hair the, that is more the color of that wig. And I was like, oh, their faces are kind of, so, she looks like Aaron Moriarty. Yes. Yeah. And she's flying around. Um, 
which Starlight doesn't do. But anyway, powers. Aaron, yeah, Aaron Moriarty's great. But I, yeah, I, I do like that she is not sexualized in this movie. That's good. Yeah. Um, not that they do anything nice with her powers, but at least <laughs> they don't make her do that. But so all of this is happening under the the auspice of Franklin Storm, played by Reg E. Kathy, who I think is one of the performers that gets off fairly okay in the movie. Yeah. He's not asked to do too much stupid stuff. He mostly has to be authoritative, <laughs> and he's good at it. Well, he's he's also very good at just speeches. Yes, he's got a and great that, voice. That's, yeah. That is what this character calls for. It's just like, you all are young, and you will carry on yeah. as the next generation, and fix he, our mistakes and inspire us all like he does a lot of that right. and he's very good at he's that. very it's good a at weird that. character because <laughs> Franklin storm is not really a character from the comics or anything okay. it's definitely someone yeah. they've kind of you know invented uh-huh. or or turn into what they want to do with him for the movie because i think what they're really doing with him is sort of a, a xavier nick fury combo sure. yeah um they've got him doing the Xavier side of like, yeah, the, the speeches and the sort of, I my dream will carry us on. And, you know, we're going to like do science <laughs> to make the world better. Um, and then also, you know, he's going around and he's, he's showing up at a random science fair. Yeah. Which well, I, we, could, science we could, fair. I could just keep getting Amazing. into that of like, why is, re, why has no one found Reed at this point so that right. he's at least competing in something bigger than, the high school science fair that's judged yeah. by the mean teacher who also teaches kindergarten at the same school. <laughs> I, 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 I do have to, I do have to ask the question as well. Is it a high school science fair? I don't know who like else it. has science fairs. Well, no, no, the reason I ask that is because, okay, you've got Miles Teller and, and Jamie Bell standing there. They're, yeah. they're presenting their project and in pure movie logic, all right, I can accept Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone as, as high schoolers too. Like I've, I've played sure. this game before. All right, I can accept that. But when they decide, oh, the prop that they want to use to to teleport, it doesn't work, or they they don't have it. They go over to the next booth, right? And there's like a couple of twelve year olds standing there, and they <laughs> take their take their yeah. plane or whatever they have. I'm like, okay, so is it like a middle school slash high school right. thing? What is going on? <laughs> it's a community science fair where everybody gets to bring their own science. <laughs> And just kind of science, see what happens. Science potluck. <laughs> but, like, but like, did they actually film at a high school and they were like, okay, we're going to hire like actual high schoolers <laughs> sure. as extras. And then it just doesn't right. work because Jamie Bell and yeah. Miles Teller are 35 years yeah, old. I mean, it's, well, it's, in a, it's in a gymnasium that right. is, is not like a, like a, a nice <laughs> gym that you'd see in, in, you know, a high school. It's not. Yeah. I'm pretty sure big. there's a flipped up basketball rim. Yes. Well, no, Somewhere. no, because they they show the the basketball uh, goal shatter. Oh, that's right. The, yeah, when yeah, the yeah. teleporter goes off, uh, it's it's strange. I don't. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. No, it's not that awesome. But I I, I concur. It is a weird, it's a weird scene and a whole weird energy. Um, I I do also because this is secret government secrets and you know neil yes. breen is on these guys trail yes. you know neil is gonna do a fateful find on these kids Ooh, we're, he's coming for you um but no more books no. <laughs> 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 it's it's a magical day but he uh 
but because it is that, there's also have to have the military there. And the military or the liaison to the military is played by my man, Tim Blake Nelson. I had completely forgotten he was in this and movie. He is, and I was very oh. confused when he showed up. He is such Tyler. a great actor who needs to be in a good superhero movie because he deserves it. <laughs> Tyler, is his character anyone from the comics? I mean, I'm guessing not. give him a was... name? I don't think so. Uh, I don't Probably Rotten like Tomatoes Shepherd or something. Has him listed as Doctor Allen <laughs> Grant. <laughs> my my first thought was Allen. I, I searched, also say, I also I just clarify searched real Tim quick. Blake. I just searched Tim Blake Nelson, and yeah. uh, I don't know why I expected that to come up with his Fantastic Four character. It's <laughs> not known for. But I will point out. Um, I, I said he needs a third superhero movie that's good. He's in the Watchmen TV series and is tremendous in it. So. Mm-hmm. He did get his 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 due after being ironically in this. from DC. Yeah, that's true. After this and Green Lantern, Damon Lindelof came in there to save him. God, he's so good in that show. <laughs> he really is really good. Okay, apparently he was at one point going to be the Mole Man, and because his name is Harvey Allen in the movie. Okay, okay, but they changed that from Harvey Elder, who is the Mole Man's. Uh, alias gotcha so okay. at one point he so i guess the the original third act was going to have him doing mole man things uh which sounds far better <laughs> than what we got i yeah i'm I mean, also picturing him look dressed as the underminer from the end yes. of incredibles and it's yes. beautiful <laughs> yes or the jeweler from the corman movie sure but he still has the zinc on his nose like he had in holes yes <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, because he's coming. He's coming up into the sun, and he exactly. never, he's, he's just like, staying ah, on the ground all the time. Uh, George Lucas warned me about this. <laughs> <laughs> he says there's this weird thing that's hot, and you can't look at it. But how am I supposed to get away from it if I can't look at it? Anyway, he said, "Here comes the sun." I thought he was talking about the song, and no, he meant it literally. Ah. <laughs> um, and and the, then they go to get in a scene that is probably a reshoot. I don't know. They go to get Victor Von Doom. Yes. Who's played by the great Toby Kebbell um, from A Monster Calls and Kong Skull Island, and which we will discuss a beautiful performance of his whenever we do the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, Wonderful actor, stranded as Victor (laughs) Damashev Doom. And he, uh, (laughs) Reg, I I think it's Reg, comes to get him. He's in a like full on uh, like hacker slacker basement where mm. he's got like his messy pizza next to his computer and he's got like a really like floppy scrag scraggly wig and he's like yeah I'm not yeah I'm not gonna go back and then he comes back with a haircut it's great but but it's it's amazing because he number one he's playing Assassin's Creed which is right I, I the, when this movie decides to bring in the real world, it, it, I, I just I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> I was like he should have been playing Spyro three. Yes, <laughs> but even better, he's got like this goofy eyepiece. Yeah, that he's he's wearing like oh he does tech the technology mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's like it's so something silly. out of like it felt like something out of out of like the wizard or something. Well, and I think Toby Kebbell he. It is not a good supervillain character, but, like, he does a good job playing the, like, really smart jerk who was kicked out because he was a bad team player and a dangerous person. Like, I really got that yeah. sense of him that, like, this guy comes with a lot of baggage, and I understand why nobody wants him in the room. 
because of I think he plays that character really effectively, uh, which is again notable of how touching he is in um, uh, Monster Calls. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I know Tyler will have stuff to say about Doom uh, as we yeah, go. Yeah, that was one of my other notes. Is uh, what did I what did I say exactly? Uh, hate, 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 scruffy Doom um, <laughs> when he first shows up, and that is the worst. Like that's the worst bit because I I, I went on on my rants about Doom and some of the other episodes, but he is a character who is very kind of strong-willed and determined and constantly scheming and looking for new plans. And I I don't want to come across like I refuse to accept anything other than the, the comic interpretation of Doom and anything else is obviously inferior because we, we've done plenty of things that have done adaptations that have been successful and done better. I just, it does not, there's no point in which this movie kind of makes me feel like Oh yeah, that that's a cool update of Doom, or that's an interesting yeah. way to take Doom. It's just like no, this is just a guy, <laughs> well, just, and it feels like it feels like the movie uh, is being forced to make him Doctor Doom because yes. by the end, like when he puts on a a tattered thing that forms a a hood and a cape, it feels like the movie went, yeah, we're legally required to do this. Yeah, like, and, and even if you're taking it from the angle of. Uh, you know, if, if you're trying to do a Fantastic Four in high school and you're trying to do kind of an update of, okay, let's let's scale all these characters back and be like, what would these characters be like when they were when they were younger and that, you know, all their arguments are more kind of petty and they're drinking and hanging yeah. out and stuff and like... A, a Trinity definitely situation. Yes, Trinity definitely. I was thinking, it, did Trinity definitely start because we were... On that episode where we talking about Kevin Smith's episode with Paul Dini where he talks about high school batman the high school batman show that they they wanted to no, pitch, there, there's a piece of the score kind of there's, a piece, there's a piece of the score in that matrix movie okay, that is okay. called trinity definitely and i was well, like way 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 i'm, I'm now yeah, I, I was i was talking about this beautiful lovely piece of music that i really like and britain was like wait a minute it's <laughs> called <laughs> trinity definitely alex that's a cute piece of, that's a cute song i've got the rest of our lives <laughs> um the the there's an episode of Kevin Smith's Batman podcast where he and Paul Dini just go on a riff about what if there was a Batman movie or a Batman TV series set in high school and all the characters were like updated to be, you know, high school bullies and stuff like Gotham, um, you know, <laughs> but imagine that, but it didn't suck. If, if that is the most optimistic it is my most generous take on this is like, okay, maybe they're trying to do something where they totally you know reimagine all these characters in a way like that he still has nothing to do with with doom other than the name yeah it it's and the name was not in the original script so yeah uh, it's just like what what are we doing here i mean he they they make him look a little bit well we'll get into the third act i um i can't quite remember because so what Britain was alluding to, he's like Doctor Doom or uh, Victor Von Doom. Yeah. So there's there's a scene where Tim Blake Nelson is talking to like the board of directors for the Baxter Institute or something, and they're looking over Victor's file, and it kind of cuts away, and you don't see Tim Blake Nelson's mouth, and that's where they insert Victor Von Doom, and they right. have a little cutaway like piece of paper that he's looking at that says it. Um, originally he was called Victor Domashev and he was, I mean, he, this is still kind of in the movie, but he's supposed to be like a hacktivist type that kind of yeah. is just like hates humanity. Um, and a little of that is retained, but not 
not enough to matter in the slightest. Um, but it's it's just very very odd, and like you said, it feels like they they felt like they just had to insert Doctor Doom in some way, like they felt legally obligated. Yeah. And the scene where he's introduced to Reed, and it's some of the worst dialogue in the movie because he's looking over Reed's like drawings and stuff, and he's like rudimentary elementary i'm like you got any other fancy words sir <laughs> like and part of that is very clearly a reset of sedimentary and then he looks at ben like <laughs> it's very clear that part of that's a reshoot because kate mara's wig is very distracting i remember that being like oh it's that early on wow um but i can't remember because there's a shot where it cuts to her and like he's talking about like oh humanity's terrible maybe we shouldn't go or you know yeah you know he starts getting really really negative and she goes wow dr doom over here <laughs> and but i can't remember if that's if that shot specifically is a reshoot because it feels that like makes, that makes sense if it he's like a hacktivist and his name is domashev or whatever yeah. but if his last name is literally doom that's just stupid. I, I would I would argue it is not a reshoot and feels like the original because this movie has a lot of bits that are there's sort of some joke or back and forth that then kind of just ends, uh, <laughs> and and the, there's like either too little or not enough time, yeah, or too little or too much time I should say, given to sitting there and waiting for the like right comedic timing to move on from that scene mm -hmm. um and that one specifically i remember made a note of because it, doom kind of makes this face he he like looks at her like with his mouth kind of half open and there's just Say like that a, again there's just like a silence for a second and then it just it just moves on. The, it, no, no. And that Say feels that again. like and then it cuts to credits and it's doom but there's zeros instead of the o's. Yes, correct. Uh <laughs> Um, that yeah. there, I think it feels like the movie probably had a very different kind of humor and tone and approach to some of those jokes. And so I definitely get the sense that there's stuff that has been chopped up. And that was one that stuck out to me that felt, feels like yeah. probably it was originally in the movie. And then probably he did say something back or, you know, like there, maybe there was more to the scene or, or somebody else had a reaction or something, but instead you just kind of get him staring like dumbly <laughs> at her and be like, Oh, and then it just moves on. that's not my name. Yeah. I, I will say another, awesome. another funny bit that I liked was when Johnny shows up and Victor's like, Oh, he's difficult to work with and doesn't play well with others. And Johnny goes, well, that's specifically the people who say I'm difficult and don't play well with others. Like, oh, that's a, that's a oh, yeah. decent... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael B. Jordan's an actor. He's good mm. at this thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I... It really... This movie kind of goes out of its way to identify Reed and Ben, and then it doesn't do anything with Ben. It tries kind of to identify Johnny. Yeah. It doesn't do much with Sue. It really tries to identify Reed, and then Reed is gone for a portion of the movie, so it's really uneconomic. <laughs> it's a good word for it yeah they okay so i think it's actually an interesting angle to take of okay so sue is johnny's adopted sibling and i do i think that and i do like that it is a black family with an adopted white child rather than the flip i like that sure that perspective. yeah i think that's that's an interesting angle to take 
And I like how, well, I mean, I don't like how they just don't explore that. Like yeah. Sue seems to be very nice to Johnny and she's always trying to look out for him and kind of similar to what we expect from normal Fantastic Four where she's the older sibling and she's trying to take care of her younger brother. Kind of that dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Um, But in this, I don't really know how johnny feels about her like does he have a chip on his shoulder of like oh she's like the preferred child because she's smarter and more successful than me there's not really a whole lot of that i mean i know he's a screw up and he he's kind of got the the disappointment issues with his dad but that doesn't really connect with sue at all right and they don't really talk to each other until you hit the the one year gap yeah there's there's one bit and i don't remember what the dialogue is but where uh, i think he kind of snarks at her and then says something like i like that you're my sister uh, something like that um more more subtextually but there's a scene a bit like that towards the end of the movie but uh, yeah beyond that we don't we don't really explore any of the relationship dynamics and really, we spend a lot of time, I think, focusing on Doom early on in the movie. And that makes it really weird because we're, it's not focusing on him in a way that makes it more interesting when he comes back as a villain. It just is like, here's a character. We're going to spend some time with him as as he does stuff. And he's going to be mean to read some. Yeah. No, the reaction when you when he comes back at the end is, oh, we're doing this yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Um. I also want to call out that the part of why we miss out on a lot of these relationship dynamics is that once we get all of the four that are not been uh in the same room there is a montage to to cut through them like building the teleporter it is literally a montage that you could put into a university advertisement <laughs> and no one would bat an eye because it's it's Sue looking at a microscope. It's it's Reed and Doom uh, scratching on a whiteboard. It is yeah. literally like it's multicultural college, people at, working together. Yes, it's like at college university <laughs> we build the future. Like that is what it feels like. <laughs> it's playing. The, it's got Franklin's like one of his speeches over it of like this yes. is the next generation. <laughs> yes let's edit this let's let's start our own fake university this will be one of the ads read university of science (laughs) that's really good oh and i I feel like that montage like you're right it totally undercuts like a lot of the relationship building that should theoretically be happening in this portion of the movie i i particularly was feeling it with doom and reed because i've been waiting for the movie where we finally are like, no, Doom is a scientist. He is as smart as Reed and they butt heads, but they work together and they actually have to collaborate because the Tim Story movie, or at least the second one, kind of feigns an attempt at that yeah. where it's like, oh, well, they're kind of working on the thing to, to at get the, same the Silver time. Surfer, <laughs> but like not really. And Doom just kind of leaves after yeah. a while. Um <laughs> Whereas with this movie, it's like, oh, they're going to start working together, and Victor doesn't really like Reed and doesn't like that he's maybe smarter than him and actually knows how to make this thing operational. They don't, they do nothing with that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. <laughs> Good day, sir. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that montage was incredibly frustrating, and it really felt... To me, that almost felt like 
I mean, I like I said, there is no actual Trank cut. There's not a completed version of this movie. But I gotta imagine the movie was much longer and had a yes. lot more stuff going on in that section of them building the teleporter. The the structure really gets weird when they do the one year time jump after the teleporter explodes because yeah. we kind of have a second act that turns into the third act without really thinking too hard about it. It just, yeah. like there there's not really a transition. It's just kind of like and eh, now we're fine. The movie's doomed. more just two yeah it's two acts it's yeah. two halves it's well, not really the, three the one year later thing should really be that feels like and there's probably an example of a movie that i'm i'm pulling off of but i can't think of this off the top of my head but it, it feels like you have something where we jump to one year later all the fantastic four are sort of being used as military props and they're about to revisit the old They've created, recreated the teleporter, and they're about to go back. And you know, we we set up that doom is is coming because they're not slowing down the operation, and like Sue just trying to warn them that she thinks it's a bad idea or something. You know, you do something like that, and then Reed shows up at the same time, and then Doom shenanigans ensue. Like it feels like that should all be a lot tighter together. Uh, and should all be pretty pretty overlapped and pretty much like a, a race to the finish as Reed's trying to get back to them and you know all that. But instead, yeah, we just meander for a good thirty minutes and then Doom comes back. Um, and there's one awkward bit where Reed and Sue seem to be connecting more, and Victor like starts telling Reed, "Oh, you need to be more serious about this. You can't be wasting any time with her." And it's like. You're really doing the doom is attracted to Sue again. Yes. Like it's very sure. weird. The, this movie retraces the steps of the Tim story films in kind of weird ways. <laughs> yes. And it repeats a lot of the same mistakes. No, you didn't come up with whole new mistakes. You made the exact <laughs> same ones, just worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a mess. And then when they go to, <laughs> planet zero as we have called the other dimension mm -hmm. hold on i i have to clarify because they they actually show the name written and there is a digit zero in place of the o so it oh. is actually planet zero zero <laughs> very important okay planet zero, um, zero presumably they do not have the rights to the negative zone sure and that is why they did it that way or josh trank just doesn't like or josh books. trank said that <laughs> sounds dumb because i think zero because I think there's interviews with Jeremy Slater where he's like, yeah, I, I tried talking with him about Mole Man and Annihilus and the Negative Zone and like all these different things. And every time I tried, he would just kind of push back and he just wasn't interested. Yeah. Well, I, I think I thought it was kind of funny, by which I mean very, when they go, <laughs> they go to this volcanic place, Doom falls into the bad pond, and then the other three boys run back. And then I, I understand that like, the Fantastic Four's powers being kind of connected to their personalities, even if it is not literally why they get those powers, it is subject or metaphorically supposed to re refer back. In this movie, they get their powers because of what happens to them during the explosion, such that the transporter explodes, uh, John uh, Johnny catches on fire, Sue gets knocked over, and a bunch of way like a wave of energy passes over her, and she flickers out of existence i missed what happened to reed because i was cross-stitching but there's <laughs> my favorite shot is a bunch of rocks just fall into 
Ben's pod. And I was like, that's no, 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 no. We can't be doing that. It's so funny. And then Reed wakes up and there's about 17 minutes of him crawling around Mm -hmm. the opening of a Tomb Raider game. And he says something like they, they, when they finally uh, get him and they're like, Hey, subject, are you, is the patient responding or whatever? And he's like, have you seen Ben? Have you seen my friend, Ben? He was the one covered in the rocks. And I was like, still accurate. <laughs> it's so funny. He's the one covered in the rocks. Not also... he was trapped under rocks or he's trapped. Just he's the, he's the one covered in yes. the rocks. Yes. Amazing. Uh, I did actually like the visual of just Johnny just getting set on fire. Sure, like, sure. If, if we're really playing up the body horror mm-hmm. aspects of it, and I do think there are moments in... I'll, I'll call the middle act. It's not, it, it's like a, a 10 minute middle act. Um, but I, I do like the bits like when, like as Ben is slowly like trying to pull himself out of the rock that he's kind of trapped in and it's horrifying. And like, I don't know the way the Miles Teller is at least playing. Like, I don't think the stretchy effect is good, but I don't think it's good in any of these films. Sure. sure. Um, but I think the way Miles Teller is playing is like, oh, he seems like he's, in genuine pain right all right and he's disturbed by what he's seeing okay um but yeah johnny like just kind of i mean being set on fire in the teleporter that actually freaked me out a little bit but even him just sitting there on the table just being on fire and they're all just like what do we do (laughs) like his father is just standing there outside like oh my god (laughs) well and i i i think i said this um to you guys in, the, in our messaging group, there is a shot where uh, Miles Teller is laying in bed after they've found all of them in a lab, and he's like on a on a, a cot or whatever. But he's stretched out; he's like permanently yeah. stretched out for a minute. So you just see this wide shot of Miles Teller with these really long, noodly arms, and it's so it's a very silly shot. But the movie is so serious. Like I, yeah. we've talked about how it's kind of grim, but I really want to emphasize. This movie is deadly serious. It takes itself very, very like this is this is heavy. This is rough. This is real deal stuff, dude. Like it's very intense. I mean, there's some levity here and there, but that shot is like, no, this is this is silly. When he finds Ben and Ben is like still like trapped, he's becoming the thing and he's trapped in the rocks, and that's I think more effectively like scary and dark and we ha- we're not getting a full shot of him and everything and like johnny bursting into flame but but miles teller looking all noodly like gonzo in muppet treasure island and everything's dark and the music is like mm. it's it's so funny i thought yeah and I, I i think it just comes down to i mean they still haven't gotten that effect right like when he's stretching <laughs> yes. and everything at the end of the movie and it's not even like an issue of skin because I talked about right, that with the right. Tim Story ones where it's like when they're just showing like his arm with no clothing on it, it just looks weird. It looks wrong. I don't Whereas know that that effect will ever look right <laughs> because sure. of what it is. But like, I don't know. It's 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 very, very rough. And I don't know. The thing looks pretty good in this. He all, also things consi- looks... all things considered. That, well, d- design looks... aside, sure. He looks... <laughs> He looks weirdly like Korg. Uh, he does look like Korg. It is it is a coincidence, but he sure does look a lot like Korg. Yeah, yeah. 
That would have been funny if Jamie Bell turns into the thing and it's just got typed <laughs> for the rest. Hey, you left me. Why'd you do that, bruv? But there's a... Uh, Reed, help me. It's a <laughs> time. Huh? Oh, that's what I'm supposed to say. But there's it's fantastic. <laughs> but there's a, a, a scene where Reed fights a bunch of soldiers in a forest and he has a shot. There's a shot of him going, huh? And he like turns around and punches a guy in the back and his arm goes, boom! <laughs> Mm-hmm. And hits him, and it's. I don't know. I didn't hate a lot of that scene. None of it I'm tops fr- Ian Griffith spinning up and turning into a water thing. That yes. was great. I I'm pretty sure that whole action scene was a reshoot, and they were pulling stuff together from different scenes because every single shot of Miles Teller, it looked like he was against a green screen. Sure, sure. The, the outline around it, it didn't look right. It didn't look like he was actually in that forest. I don't know the whole the whole second half of the movie. I was just like, I need to pick this apart. What's a reshoot? What's not? What's a reshoot? What's not? <laughs> um, not every scene has a has a bad Kate Mara wig. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say one of my Makes next so much easier. One of my next notes is a weird beat where, uh, beat pun intended, where uh, Sue is like, I need music. In order to figure out where Reed is, she's she's yeah, still in the lab, yeah. and she's she's supposed to track him down. And so then they they let her work, and they give her headphones, and, and she's working. And I think the you know the ideal version of the scene is that there's a there's a cool deep cut James Gunn style, you know, song that you play diegetically that she's listening to while she's she's working through it. And then maybe the. You know, the next level is sort of a Suicide Squad type thing. You play something obvious. You know, maybe you could play She's a Girl, so you play a song about, you know... Girls just want to have fun. Girls just want to have fun. Or what's the what's the one from um, Captain Marvel, which I actually think is pretty fun. Oh, okay. uh, but that, that one scene... I don't know what you're talking about. They, they play the, the song that's like, I'm just a girl. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- there's choices that you could do there. You could do something that's just like a fun like element you know i don't don't know something that gives her a little bit of character by showing i mean that's why the guardians movies beyond just the fact that james gunn is very good at selecting those songs um the guardians movies use that music so effectively because it's about everything is used to paint the character of peter quill and the attachment he has to the songs that he's listening to and selecting on his music player like that is an opportunity for character that's an opportunity for you to play yeah. something and have the character be able, you know learn something else about them and no, if Tyler, the, she should just listen to sabotage yeah, sure that would be great that would be a ton of fun like the, that that's the kind of thing where so my my read as i was watching this was like all right probably at one point josh trink wanted that to be he probably had a song in mind right sure probably wanted to play something and then maybe they said, you know, maybe that got chewed up by Fox at some point when they were redoing everything and they realized they didn't want to buy rights for this. At the very least, get some public domain stuff. Get you some Mozart. That would be fun. That would be not, not even fun, but that would just be like, find, find something that works for the character that you don't have to pay for and just stick it in there. And then you got something because then you're still... Like again, that's telling you about the character. Instead, they just play the score of the movie. The movie score just plays on this scene where we're watching her with headphones on, typing away at a computer and trying to track Reed down. And I was like, "What? Why was that a 
a, a fake. Why leave that yeah. in the movie? Just just show. Just cut. Don't have the thing about. Oh, I need to put headphones. Just cut to. Yeah. She's at the computer, and you don't have to explain what she's listening to. But the fact that they make a point about it, and then they go to that next scene, and then you're just yeah. listening to the score like the rest of the movie. It's really weird. Well, it's it's about you can imagine what that song is. Like when you imagine the violence <laughs> off screen, you're imagining. It's, it's the like music. how you know you, you Mario and Zelda aren't voiced. Zelda, <laughs> I did the thing. Mario and Link aren't voiced in, right. in the, their their respective games. You know that you want people to be able to put themselves in there. Right. Right. Exactly. Because in my mind, she was listening to that don't impress on me much. <laughs> the more frustrating element for me is that that whole scene leads to she detects. Basically, she finds Reed because he's logging in as Captain Nemo. And that was the yeah. thing that they connected on in their meet cute. Sure. I'm like, you're already willing to make stupid references like. <laughs> Yeah, play something fun. Play, play. I go to extremes by Billy Joel just to, to please me. <laughs> that would be great if that song played in this movie at any point. <laughs> any point. What, what was it? What was it? Britain verve and enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she goes. Wait, I need music to find him. Well, I'm on the down Easter Alexa. <laughs> I think he's out to sea. You know, I think this movie of all movies, could have used a Billy Joel-led soundtrack. I agree. They are under a lot of pressure, I will say. Uh, uh, if, there you go. Look, it's that right there. Great, they could have claimed it before Aaron Moriarty fantastic. and the boys. She's, yeah. she's in there. She's she's tracking Reed down. and Pressure! Pressure! When Victor comes back in, they're like, because you had to be a big shot, didn't you? <laughs> And then obviously he's blowing up heads to Big Shot. Give it. To oh, me. that would have been actually Give really good. Me. What is this? And Jamie Bell's like, "I am gonna go to the city. I'm moving out." Just <laughs> 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 yeah. And then of course, uh, we didn't start the fire. Kind of writes itself there. Because do you think? Do you think we could edit? Make our own edit of Fanforestic. I think we could. We could do a fan yes. edit. Yeah. I don't know what else. I don't know what else we do aside from change the music. But I think there's I think something. We here. Don't change the music at all. He's well, no, I'm saying aside from inserting teacher, inserting right. Billy Joel is what I'm. No, no, no. We don't. We 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 can't change the scene structure. It's too important to match the songs. <laughs> <laughs> right. This this particular edit was built for the soundtrack we have in mind. <laughs> <laughs> What's great it's is just when a bunch they of music videos for Billy they... Joel set to Van Forstick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, bunch of AMVs. Um, <laughs> you know how they do those live like concert soundtrack performances. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I don't know if Hans Zimmer has done this, but I know Ramin Jawadi has done like these big things. Mm-hmm. I, I want I want them to be like, yeah, we're presenting Fan Four Stick, and we've got like Billy Joel and like a, a hundred piece orchestra <laughs> performing during the movie. <laughs> Brooklyn Academy of Music is hosting. Instead, of, instead of instead of him, you know, he's not composing. He's just got his got a guitar. He's just like, or maybe his his piano, and he's just like right. jamming out while this giant screen shows Van Forstick in the back. Yes, bottle of red, bottle of white. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> when they're all kneeling over Reggie Kathy as he's died. 
Good night, my angel. Time to close <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> yeah, this this will work. This will work. Take that, Twilight Tharp. I I think uh, I think the time jump is very funny, and very that is a weird way of the movie being badly economical. Economical because like we don't have to show them getting to know their powers. They already do. They yeah, figured it out right. here. And then they've all been militarized, and it's you know. The thing is angry because Reed didn't save him, and so he's going to become a weapon of mass destruction. Right. Not literally. And then Johnny's like, no, this is great. We're working with the military. And Sue's like, I I don't know. And then they find Reed in the forest, and it's a bunch of stupid stuff. And they, yeah. Why do they go back to Planet Zero? I can't remember. I think they just want to continue to see. They want to explore more and and trying to find out what the source of their powers are i think it's more just that i mean they, they tell the the fantastic four they tell them that it's under the guise of oh we're trying to reverse your powers we're trying to fix you but of course they're right, right. evil military government guys so they don't want to do that yeah they just want to exploit them um yeah i at this point i was really of course, like the movie's a mess, and uh, you know, saying I got frustrated at this point means absolutely nothing. Um, but what little character we had for Johnny going into the first half with, like, oh, he has all these issues; he doesn't want to disappoint his father, and they they butt heads and stuff. And he's like, "The only reason I did this was to get my car back that I wrecked." And what was a surprisingly fun sequence, by the way, the sure. little drag race thing, drag car race, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we get to the second half and, he, like, that's just, like, completely disappeared. Yeah. He's just like, I've got powers now and I'm it's cool, whatever. That's it. <laughs> well, it's like they're they're trying Auto. to do, they're, again, their own version of how he went corporate in the Tim Story movies. But this time he's going military. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's weird. I, I don't know. But then Victor. Why does Dr. Doom have a cloak? What a, again? I think they were legally <laughs> mandated. <laughs> Doom shows up again, and he—it's the design would be neat for a creepy sci-fi alien robot sure. thing because he's got this sort of plastic mold face. It doesn't look really anything like the no, the usual yeah. Doctor Doom mask, like the ones that they used in either of the past two movies or the past two iterations. Um, but it's like this grayish thing that looks like it would be gross to touch. Uh, and it's, he's got these pinpoint green eyes, uh, that are just little lights and yeah. these kind of black sockets. It's, it's not, I don't hate that. Like, I think that is, it's kind of creepy. It's, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting take. It just, it, it's so weird how this movie did not just bail on doom as a character entirely because it doesn't, it's not taking anything right from him as like a source of inspiration. I don't know. It, it's strange and bizarre and I don't like it. Yeah. And when he, they, they find him and bring him back and then he walks around blowing up everybody's heads um, and making yes. all the lights flicker, which we should probably, we should probably pause on and really, Live in that for a moment. Uh, he he blows up Tim Blake Nelson's head while he's still in a suit, yeah. containment suit. Um, 
And then he, it's literally like, we, I think we see the blood splatter on the front of the mask. Uh, I, I don't understand. Okay. I have complained and complained and complained in the X-Men movies <laughs> about there being no blood when Wolverine's hacking and slashing away at people. And then this movie just gets away with it. Yeah, like, I, I don't... What? I think the takeaway is that Fantastic Four 2015 really opened the, the door for Logan. That's think true. That, that helped him. Yeah. Make no, it opened, it opened the James door Mangold for Deadpool. Was, James Mangold was like, you're going to let him do that. <laughs> but I can't make a good movie that happens to be hard. I, I just, I, I don't really understand, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine, like, you've got two lead characters who all they do is yes. stab people, and there's no blood! It makes no sense! Yes. I'm sorry, it makes no sense. Fury hates me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 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 you know, it's a horror movie, it's the boys but bad, and he's blowing everybody's head up, and then he opens a gate to planet zero and then reed goes i guess he kind of says some science stuff he goes he'll create a black hole that'll destroy the earth and we're like all right we have our we have our plan even at this point in 2015 blue portal in the sky was a bad call it was a bad call and you see a lot of trees getting ripped off the highway and a lot of cars going up in it and then people running away from their cars I really wish Reed had just pointed and there was like a big like Doctor Strange like portal so we can see Doom like yeah. in planet zero zero like starting the blue beam. And he's like, guys, look, blue beam. We have to stop it. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Doctor Doom is able to blow up everybody's head except Franklin Storm. He kind of just does like a wave and yeah. Franklin Storm starts dying. Well, because- he respects him. Shh. Sure. Uh, really, it's because that would be far too upsetting in a movie that's already upsetting for different reasons. Uh, but he he gave him a slow, miserable death instead of quickly just popping his brains. Yes. yes. Um, um, and then also, also, I mean, there's the whole there's the whole. And I mean, this is a, this is a when you have like a villain who's like all powerful like this and can do these extreme things, you always have to ask yourself why are they not just doing that to the heroes, um, like X Men Apocalypse. similar vein obviously i'll I'll address simon kimberg in a little bit but that's the same thing where he can do all these things with like disintegrating matter and moving stuff around he should like the x-men should not be able to beat him it's not possible given what they've established so like the whole final battle in this which is incredibly lame yeah um it's basically just them getting batted around and like guys but what if we work together as a team and then they basically just fake out Doctor Doom so the thing can punch him it once. Is, it is. What if we work as a team after the way they get out of the initial adversity of of Doom? The the sort of you know we're gonna fight back moment is Reed just being like, no, and then th- <laughs> ragdolling himself at Doom. Yeah, so they just like bounce off of each other, and Doom goes falling in a in a pit for a second so they can regroup. Yeah. Uh, and then they, yeah, the, you know, the, again, the team that has not been on screen except for one time, yeah, 10 minutes ago or whatever, uh, is now like, we have to work as a team and it's, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah the he way says, I, the, they're not, he's not, he's stronger than us, but he's not stronger than all of us yeah. or stronger than any of us, but not all of us. Yeah. And the whole, 
and the whole time I'm like, why is why is Doom not not popping popping their heads? Like right. they should like maybe the thing would not he wouldn't be able to do that, but everyone else should be should be dead. Um, yeah, I, the way I'm thinking about it now, you know how a lot of times you watch a, a movie, particularly a movie with great action scenes, and you're like, wow, this almost feels like a video game, like with how impressive yeah. these action sequences are. This one felt like a really terrible quick time event from like a 2006 <laughs> yeah. game. Sure. Yeah. Like I felt like, they, oh, this is like one where they have original really, Xbox quick time event. They like, haven't they haven't really rendered backgrounds or anything. They didn't have yeah. the, the time to put that together, so it's just kind of a weird empty space. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you're forcing me to interact with this, aren't you? I have to press X now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I do want to point out that when when they do defeat Doom, do they actually kill him? Does he get like zapped by the portal yeah, or they, something? They punch they punch him into the portal and then I think maybe Johnny destroys all the rocks so that the portal crashes down on him. And he okay. va- he vaporizes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But then Sue because she can fly, which I guess is kind of neat, but she's got them all in a force field and she's carrying them back to Earth and they kind of just stand over this ginormous crater. Yes. And the heroic theme starts playing and it's maybe one of the most, in terms of embarrassing moments in this movie, it's only topped by the very end. Yeah. In uh, terms yeah. of how tone deaf are you? The, there are there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people dead after this incident. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I would like to submit. Um, I think when Doom is vaporizing, I wouldn't. I would. I would like it to just be going. You're only human. We're bound to make your share of mistakes. I think, <laughs> I think that would be good. I think that's that's our pull for that part. So we'll we'll yeah, revisit that go. when we re-edit the movie. Um, <laughs> I wrote down at some point during the Doom stuff, I just wrote down the quote, which I think is in relation to Doom. I don't, it just, I just wrote it down. I don't know who said it exactly or anything. Uh, the quote is just, his biochemistry is off the charts. <laughs> uh, I just, I, that's just in my notes. <laughs> I love that. That could be referring to anyone. Do, that could be referring that. to Franklin. Do with that as you will. <laughs> That's awesome. He's he's dying. Read his biochemistry is off the charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about the very ending because I, for the last seven <laughs> anyway. years, have been hearing about this ending, and I thought the way this movie ended was somebody says the word fantastic. Miles Teller goes, "Say that again," and then we get the title card. No, this is how it happens. The thing says, "That's fantastic," and he goes, "Wait, say that again." It's fantastic. Huh. Okay. Guys. Yeah? I've got it. What? The name. The name? The name. What name? The babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. But then he but he's, he goes on this whole thing. The name. For what? The team. What team? The team. Oh, the team. And it's so repetitive. And then he goes, I've got it. Okay. Are you ready? And then it says Fantastic Four. And I was like, how... This is already a stupid thing, and you're making it take so long. And there's there's a a good extra like for as long as that takes. There's just that long beforehand because they're reads like we're gonna need a team name, and then they're suggesting team names to each other. And uh-huh. somewhere in there, uh, Johnny Storm says 
the thing in his minions or something like that. Like it, right, they, right. they get the thing in at the very last minute as a, a reference. Yeah. It's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. And then Johnny just casually says human torch in the torchettes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, does he? I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's it's gross. That's the only oh. way I can describe it. It's gross. Well, also before that, I mean, we've got to mention before that the wonderful scene that that really felt it, it felt like Zack Snyder stepped in for a day, where the Fantastic Four threatens the U.S. government and it's like, yeah. no, give us this institute or we'll burn you to the ground yeah. <laughs> in Central City. And it really felt like I- Superman going. You'll just have to trust me, okay? Yeah. I actually want to... The Central City thing... <clears throat> so, Central City is the home city of the Flash, I believe. Right. yeah. In D.C. And they, they say the base is called Central City. There is a city in Colorado called Central City as well, apparently. That's unrelated. But I, I was looking this up because I was like, why is... Is that supposed... To me, it's not a Marvel thing, as far as I'm aware. I don't think it has anything to do with that. Oh, okay. My understanding was that there was, like, an obscure thing early on where maybe they referenced a city called Central City. I don't think so. I feel like I heard that somewhere. I could be wrong. Because that's been the Flash... uh, I want to say the Flash. Maybe I'm getting it wrong and it's someone else, but I think think that's right. Um, That's been the Flash's home city should have been since like 1959 and the fantastic four was 1961 or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Maybe there's something to that, but it it's a weird reference. Yeah. And of course, another distracting thing in a movie that is kind of just one big distraction. And, and when this movie is just like, so gun shy about like, like obviously it does all the superficial dumb references, but it's so gun shy about doing like full on comic book references. Yeah. If that is one, it's very weird. weird yeah, C- Central City is, it's the Flash's city, and it first appeared in 1956. So, like, right. it's not. And, and Look, I was more just frustrated that they just didn't man up and say, yeah, they went to Area 51. Instead, they say it's <laughs> we like call Area, it Area 58 51. or something stupid. And I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. Okay, okay, maybe I'm finding something here. okay you are right it is a super obscure comic book reference i did not realize that so in back in the the golden age in in the 1940s the original human torch lived in central city the like robot human torch that eventually sort of gets his body reused to make the vision kind of not really the reason the mcu is not is not poked at that yeah. Um. <laughs> so Jeremy managed to slip one by old Trank. I see. That's. I mean, that's entirely possible. That, yeah, <laughs> not surprise me. Yeah, that's that's very very strange. And, and and like that obscure comic reference, that tells me that's not reshoots. That feels like oh that that was. Like I don't think Simon Kimberg would have wrote, <laughs> wrote that right. Yeah. Like, that feels like a Jeremy Slater thing based on, you know, our understanding of, of who brought what to the table here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, one thing I did want to point out, the bit where Reed is kind of on his own for a while. Um, 
The effect is terrible. I like the idea that he can change his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The effect is it's, awful. It's weird, yeah. Um, But I just thought that was neat. And I, I thought that it, there were a couple of small places where I'm like, there's... There's some creativity with the powers. Sure. Is there a mid or post credit scene? I did not stick around. No. Okay, cool. No, I'm pretty sure that Fox knew that this movie was kind of dead on arrival, and they didn't even bother. Um, Yeah, I guess since we've made it through what the movie is about, (laughs) I mean, I could talk a little bit more about the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um so apparently Simon Kimberg was brought on as a producer shortly before the movie started filming. So he was already kind of helping to guide the project along, so sure. to speak. Um, and apparently Fox was just like starting to get worried. And like I said, they cut the third act and they said they'd figure it out later. Um, it was really just about we need to start this, making the movie by mm-hmm. a certain date. Um and apparently by the time they had finished shooting and Trank had compiled his cut, they were like, this is not what we wanted. Uh, <laughs> now, whether or not it was one of those things where they got cold feet or Trank presented them with something completely different than what he ended up making, I don't know. Um, a lot of this seems to be what he was intending to make, but who knows? Hmm. Um, I mean, and- I know he's he's disavowed the whole affair. Yes. Basically, I think he he actually watched it like a year or two ago, and he was like, "It's not as bad as I expected." Assumed. Yeah, but I know at at the time or like shortly after the time, I remember that coming out that he was just like, "They're they're making a totally different new movie. It's not my movie." Well, the day before, Trash. the day before, and every everyone should remember this kind of. Um, the day before the movie premiered, he posted a tweet saying, "A year ago, I had." a fantastic version of this and it would have received great reviews you'll probably never see it that's reality though and that i think it's estimated that that decreased box office by like 10 million dollars i don't know how you measure that (laughs) sure yeah but that's what i heard Interesting. Um, and apparently that was like no you are blacklisted from hollywood you cannot do that which is funny because he seemed to be playing ball up until that point in terms of like doing press and and things um but it's even questionable if he was a part of the reshoots. They might have just kind of kicked him out because Simon Kimberg basically came in and wrote the third act, which is why a lot of that cringy dialogue is there and why it's such a boilerplate, like just punch the bad guy, whatever, yeah. like kind of ending. Um, and it's not the last time that he will have to save a Fox Marvel movie. Because apparently he shadow directed Apocalypse, and of course he did Dark Phoenix, which is all his fault. But whatever, uh, yeah. I still like it <laughs> in spite of itself for some uh, reason. For some reason, that I I yep, bold on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently Josh Trank like it seems like he was just way in over his head, and he was not obviously he wasn't used to a budget and a movie of this scale. Um, apparently he was just kind of a jerk on set. And I think he, I think it's rumored that he got into a fist fight with Miles Teller or Sounds they right. scuffled or something. Sure. Just rough um, housing. Yeah. Right. And of course, like a lot of this stuff, they've, everyone signed NDAs. So a lot of it's just kind of rumor territory. 
Um, but then there's the whole thing about like apparently the place where he was staying at, there was like a hundred thousand dollars in property damage and they tried to blame it on his dogs or something. And it's like, no, that's, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, I feel like he was just like, like I said, very in over his head and, just super stressed all the time not to excuse any of his behavior because if he was being a jerk to everyone that's totally not cool right um but i think this is the perfect case for why you don't do this you don't take the indie director with one hit and just bump him up to the big leagues i just and of course this is a different situation because normally like with with the marvel situation you have like and we've talked about this and the, the pros and cons of this where Marvel basically has the movie constructed. The director just needs to come on and oversee it as it's, you know, being finished. Um, whereas with this, it's like, no, no, Josh, you can make whatever you want, except you can't have this and you can't have this yeah. and you can't have this. And oh, no, you can't have that either. Um so I understand his frustration and everything, but at the same, like it's, I kind of blame everyone involved except for like the actors, of course. Um, but like, and I Gerard Butler, who is working as a PA. Correct. <laughs> but I blame, <laughs> I blame this. I blame the studio um, because obviously Fox has not made great decisions with their superhero movies. And that is one of the many things that led them to being bought by Disney. Um, I blame Trank for his behavior and, like I said, I don't necessarily like want to say like, oh, his disdain for the material means he was not fit for this, but he kind of was not fit for this because of his disdain for the material. The, I, the entire movie feels like we're doing a deconstruction of the Fantastic Four before we've ever gotten them right. Um, yeah, sure. It was just, I, I keep talking about Suicide Squad and that sort of thing. I mean, it is DCEU vibes of, oh, we're we're just going to try and do something weird like this. And we're super serious, like a real movie. Yeah. A very specific angle that kind of paints these characters in a totally different light than you would see them. If you picked up a comic book off the shelf at the same time and it's just weird and not what you would expect from a movie like this without really, at least, you know, Batman, Superman, everything we've had attempts we have we've had good movies starring them before the dcu and that's kind of the argument a lot of you know fans of snyder would would make as well it's a different take and you know we've already gotten these other takes so it's fine if this is a a different different take i would we've talked about those movies go back and listen to our episodes on them this is something that still has not been done right and we're going back to that and of course it is all very cynical and it's kind of being pushed out because they want to, you know, make the rights stay retained, even though they would end up getting bought in a few have, years have anyways. They, have they ever made them, have they only made Fantastic Four movies to retain the rights? Or have they ever made one because they're like, we want to do this. Was that Tim Story movies? I mean, I guess Silver Surfer, Rise yeah. of the Silver Surfer would be the one qualification there. Like, yeah, I feel like Silver Surfer was just as cynical because it was a- it was only two years in between yeah. films. I feel like if they were like, no, we're going to wait until we've got the right story. Well, you know, I know, I feel like they they have all been made for expressly cynical reasons. Yeah, we got one good one out of it. Well, one and a half. Um, maybe maybe Matt Shackman can can save us. I sure hope so. 
I I do honestly feel like the Marvel formula and kind of my complaints about it. I feel like if nothing else, the tone of the Marvel movies works well with Fantastic Four. I look forward to Reed calling yes. somebody. Yeah, like, go ask Euphoria over there, and then going back to his science. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should say I love the movie. In theory, <laughs> I like parts of the movie. Sure. Yeah. I I actually think that the first hour, despite the ridiculous stuff with the like the flashbacks and all that, I think the first hour has a lot of promise as you're watching it. And it really is once they go to planet Zero Zero, that's when the movie really starts to fall apart. Um, it's like, oh, there's no hope for this, is there? There's no salvaging this. Um, and I've heard, and I can't remember if this is confirmed, I've heard that the third act originally was supposed to be, they discover Galactus in this alternate dimension or whatever they go to, and Doctor Doom basically becomes Silver Surfer. And that's why he looks sure. the way that he does, which... Once again, you are making the exact same mistakes that the last version of yeah, this did. I, I don't understand that, but that's that's what I heard. Um, and that's the the thing about the MCU version is that, for one, I think it's a good. Like, I'm excited about Matt Shockman. I think he's done some good work in other things I've seen. I've actually never. I know he's like got a start on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, so curious about that. But I mean, also, there, I think there should be a a comedy bickering element to this team. Sure. And I think that's, that shows he could do that probably in a little he, more famous. Honestly, friend. he may just get the the sunny guys, the, the three sunny guys and Caitlin Olsen to be the fantastic four. And Dana DeVito is Dr. Doom. <laughs> you know, put some Billy Joel music over that. There you go. <laughs> I mean, Danny DeVito moment, but I think we oh, talked about that. With, yeah. Uh, yeah. The one thing I'm a little Roger worried about, is if, I mean, if they do have Doom as just like a background character, I think that would be fine as well. But I want to see Doom in some capacity because I finally want to see him done correctly. And I feel like they're going to be a little gun shy. I think they're, I think the the buzz is that he's going to be big and part of Avengers level movies and stuff. I, I think they're okay. going to, they, I think they're going to know what they got with him and, and use him. So it'll be like a Thanos to Kang to Doctor Doom, so, something maybe? like that. Like we're working okay. in there somewhere. Well, they're gonna lead think, with the mad thinker, and then I mean, if we're if we're going yes, if we're going real deep, uh, I feel like my my what I would be curious about them doing is uh, the original Secret Wars is about a mystical otherworldly being called the beyonder taking everyone to a, a planet where he's like fight because action figures um and then doom steals his power he usurps him and then the heroes have to stop doom um i wonder if they do something like that with like we've got the king dynasty and secret wars i think that would be a fitting use for him if he uh goes and like uh, is the one who helps defeat king but then he becomes the villain of secret wars or something i think we'll we'll get something like that i think we'll get I I trust in in Feige to know that Doom is Doom is special. You got to do him right. So we'll see. Um, I think in terms of my ratings, uh, that I've been I've been doing here, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna say I'm gonna say four out of ten for Mister Fantastic. 
I think it's not it's it's really not right, but it's kind of bolstered by I like Miles Teller and there is one bit that we didn't mention where he or maybe I I missed it. I might have been looking up Eli Manning stats or whatever. Uh, where he uh, <laughs> um fair he does the it has a different face and he goes to a store in Mexico or wherever he is and uh talks to the guy running the register and he's like hey let me buy this for five dollars and i'll fix your register and then the guy's like okay show me and then he does it and he like taps on it and knows exactly how to fix it that's a good read bit that's that's neat like he walks sure. out and he's like thanks and leaves this i like it isn't isn't his portal thing the device at the beginning of the movie isn't there like I think it cuts to like it's running on a bunch of like N64s or something like he's just got them stacked up and it's like oh it's got this like makeshift device. That was fun. That was cute. Doesn't fit the tone of this movie, (laughs) but it was cute. It was cute in like a like a a 80s Spielberg kind of way. Yeah. Uh, I am going to go. Six out of ten for Sue Storm. I'm actually going to do a little bounce up and put her on the same level as uh, the f- first Tim story, Sue Storm. I think she's good. I think I think that's that's fine. That could work as your your invisible woman. I'm I'm here for it. Uh, thing I'm going four out of ten. Probably go less. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there there's not enough on the on the page to screw them up. Or on the on the screen to screw him up more than <laughs> than that, I think. Um, Human Torch, I go seven out of ten. I'll, I'll give I'll give uh, Michael B. Jordan some credit there. I think he kind of comes out the best overall, just from like making the material work for him. Uh, I am going to go negative one out of ten for Doom, <laughs> uh, and I, I believe that lands me at an average of five out of ten. So my final my final standings here. Uh, have gone down with each subsequent movie, but I started at 6.6 out of 10 for the Roger Corman one, 6.2 for Fantastic Four 2005, 5.6 for Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, and then flat 5 for Hand Four Stick. This feels right. So hopefully we will buck that trend shortly here. I mean, they said Fantastic Four a total of zero times. That's accurate. I, I, I don't know if if it just happened to be a coincidence that, of course, you got Age of Ultron earlier that summer and they've got the Avengers yeah. symbol gag at the end. But this feels like such... And, and like I said, the reshoots just complicate the whole thing because it's like, did they really... Like, did somebody go and see Age of Ultron like, oh, wait, I know what we need to do for the ending of our movie? Or was <laughs> it just pure coincidence? I could see it being pure coincidence. Because I also don't know that, like, I feel like that was cute in Age of Ultron. I don't know that Whedon really had a goal there, the way that, like, the MCU actually ended up using that. Yeah. To, to strong effect in Endgame. Uh, I think that just kind of was, was luck that somebody else was like, hey, we could keep, we could play off that. Right. Um, so I it, I could believe that. You know, it just being that time and being that era where it's like super mo- superhero movies, they can work pretty well. But 
gotta hold back just a, we gotta we gotta tease just a little like I, I feel like that was the vibe of the era so. what are you grading the film I think I'm gonna go F I'm just gonna go F for fan four stick uh not all, all things considered I would not have expected it to be much more than what it is but what it is is not good I'm I'm also gonna go F. I definitely wondered about an F plus, and I think there are F plus moments in this. Yes, movie, definitely. But it doesn't really add up to a a like the three of us could watch this and riff on it and have fun. Yes. But like, if I was just having a good bad movie night, I probably wouldn't put this in the lineup. Yeah, it's not. It's not consistent enough in it being good bad for me to give it that. So it's it's an F. It just doesn't work. But Pitt. Put some uh, Billy Joel soundtrack. Ah, oh, you got a movie. We're gonna elevate this thing. We're gonna elevate this thing to like a C minus. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Smith's gonna be talking about it on Seth Meyers. Yeah. <laughs> I would be. I would be watching Seth Meyers every night if Kevin Smith was like <laughs> the guy. You know how all the late like night talk shows. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you call that, but the guy who's psychic. just like standing on the podium on the side is it psychic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Kevin Smith was was there just, like, riffing with Seth Meyers, <laughs> I would be all over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, on that note, I'm going to agree with you both wholeheartedly. I'm going to give it an F. I, um, I yeah, was waiting for you to say D. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> no, even though there are individual moments I like in this sure. movie, I mean, it's an absolute disaster on yeah. basically every level. So, it, I mean, like, everyone knows. It's, it's not a surprise. Um, and it's just... Make a Fantastic Four movie because you actually want to make a Fantastic Four movie for right. God's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I feel like I should relay the the origin story for all of this. So uh, Tyler and I and, and an, another friend of ours had a mean our... teacher in school. Yeah. <laughs> I have had my and I wanted to be Eli Manning. <laughs> um, but it was the week before our sophomore year of college started, and we were all moving in. This was this was the summer of 2015, and I was cautiously optimistic about Fan Forstick because I was like, "Okay, it looks interesting. I like Chronicle a lot." Funnily enough. Kevin Smith did did a podcast with Josh Trank and he was interviewing him and like hearing his insight and like what he was to, attempting to do with the movie. I don't know at what point it was actually recorded. Sure. At like leading up to the film's release, but it seemed like he was super excited and into the movie. So I was like, okay, maybe there's a shot here. Then I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes scores and then I showed Tyler the Rotten Tomatoes scores and we were like, oh my god, we have to drop everything we're doing right now and go see this. And we convinced our friend, who's not the biggest movie guy in the world, like, he'll <laughs> just, like, watch whatever. Like, if we feel like watching something, he'll be like, yeah, why not? Like, oh, what? And we the, were like, whole, the whole nine yards? All right, I'll, I'll see. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, sure, this sounds like fun. We went to the theater where Tyler and I would end up working, and Britain was working there at the time. We don't know if it was the shift that were you know when we went ships in the um, night. yeah mm-hmm. um but it was like a wednesday afternoon the what week... was the barometric pressure <laughs> it would no it was the week after it opened uh, like oh, a 1 yeah, p.m yeah. showing 
nobody was literally in the theater. Empty. Literally empty. I've only experienced that like twice in my yeah. life. And so we riffed on the whole movie. We did. We totally did a mystery science theater like thing with it, and it was one of the most gratifying theater experiences I've ever had. So maybe, maybe that's why I should give this movie a D. Well, because I had that experience from it. <laughs> I cannot stop you from writing it on the score sheet. But I'm nope, I already awesome. wrote an F. I'm not changing. <laughs> it. All right. All right. Just making sure, making Can't sure we're not taking the bit too far here. Okay. No, no, no. We're not. We're not getting that. We're not getting as as dead serious as this <laughs> film. <laughs> but yeah, I just I, I thought I I would share that because at least this this movie gave somebody a happy memory. <laughs> and we're both on this podcast. And we're both on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think Josh Trank really inspired my love of cinema. I think that's really it's really I the takeaway kind- here. I do feel like that between this and what happened with Zack Snyder on Justice League, I feel like somebody should make a a movie about this, about like a production of this, just this big movie and this director's just kind of thrown into it and like it's a complete disaster. And like, I want the behind the scenes stuff for these projects to mm. be just like put in a movie. Like, I want to see that. That seems like it would be just a good time. Get like Scorsese to do it or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think that uh, Snyder will be a great biopic to win Timothy Chalamet his first best actor <laughs> in you know, 10, 15 years. I think that'll be good. Yep, and it's also called Bones and All. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so good. <laughs> I want it. Um. I don't think I have anything to recommend. What what do y'all what say things that you've enjoyed? Yeah. Um, I am in the middle of rewatching something that I'll probably recommend next week when I finish it, and maybe it's something else. But uh, I did watch the Oscar nominations came out, and they're movies. But I mm-hmm. one of them is an animated short film on Apple TV Plus called "The Boy, the Fox." No, okay, "The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse." Okay, it is a laborious title, but that is the only downside to this uh, 34, 37-minute movie. It's based on a graphic novel by Charles Maxey, I believe, who also co-directed the movie. Um, and it is a very, very simple story about a little boy who is lost, and he meets a mole, and then a fox, and then a horse, and they're looking for home. But it's it's it almost I, I read a review that said it the way it's animated and the way that it's told, it almost feels more like a moving book than it does a movie based on a graphic novel. Um, and it, it really reminded me of like the A.A. A. Milne, uh, Winnie the Pooh, like the original stories where it's a lot of setups for sayings and for like aphorisms that are beautiful. And that if you stop and think like, why does that really work in the scene? Quote unquote, you're like, that's not the point. <laughs> like the point is what is, what is the character communicating? Um, it's beautiful to look at. Um, it's very charming. Tom Hollander, Idris Elba and Gabriel Byrne are in it and that's good uh and i was very very moved by it and very touched by it and teary at it partially because it just happened they happened to say a lot of things that i have been that addressed things that i've been dealing with in my life recently and so that was very cathartic and the little boy kind of looked like me when i was a little boy so i think that kind of added to it for me but um i just found it really touching and really really lovely um it's 
definitely safe for kids, but it's almost kind of like the Winnie the Pooh stories. It's like, this is almost more for the parents being like, oh, what a beautiful idea to impart to my child. Uh, but totally everyone can and should watch it. Um, and I haven't seen the other animated short nominees, but I know I will be happy for this if it wins. And that's called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse on Apple TV+. Plus. Alex? I watched The Menu. Oh, right. did you? How is Ray Fine's American accent in that? Because I keep wondering. I didn't think it would. I don't. I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be an American accent. I think there were a couple of lines oh, of dialogue okay, that okay. made me think that it might not be. Or maybe it was. I can't remember. I, I remember listening to it and being like, something's off about this. <laughs> but it's, I mean, he's still giving a very good performance. Oh, sure. Um. Uh, my pitch for this movie is that it's a much darker glass onion. Okay. Um, in terms of just the subject matter and thematically what it's going for. Uh, basically the pitch is there is this really like high end, super duper rich people restaurant run by Ray Fiennes' character. Um, and it's on this island and you go there, you spend like $1,500 or however much for like a meal. And it's like, it's supposed to be like super pretentious, like a four hour dinner service mm-hmm. and you get fed all these different like art pieces by him um and it's supposed to all thematically tie together into some message he's trying to convey and it starts with nicholas holt who's brought along anya taylor joy as his date and you've got just like these various rich people going to this event um and like just crazy stuff starts happening and it's pretty wild and i liked it quite a bit um, like I said, it's very much, it, it's, it's not nearly as optimistic or just fun as like Glass Onion, but it, it felt very similar. Yeah. Um, and it's directed by Mark Mylod, um, who is one uh, of our, yeah. our, uh, best friends cause he directed episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, and he also, uh, has directed many episodes of Succession, which oh, I have yeah. also enjoyed and also tackles similar subject matter um it was a lot of fun i really really liked it i was kind of surprised at how much i liked it um i was expecting it just to be kind of a flat line for me yeah um but it was quite a bit of fun and if you like dark humor and and that type of thing it's, it's you'll probably like it okay i've been curious about that one. i just haven't pulled the trigger on it so i'll have to get there yeah i was expecting because the way that, that it had been pitched to me was that you know along with kind of the the class element to it let's say um i i was also kind of pitched that ray fines was supposed to be like a satirical version of like gordon ramsay or like one of the super famous yeah. chefs like that and he doesn't really do the i yell at people like i yell at my my workers when they screw up or anything um which i i'm kind of glad that they didn't because i feel like that's just kind of played out in general um, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting okay. with regards to that. So cool. I don't know. It was neat. I like neat things. Give me more. Ne- Give me Andor season two. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to uh, continue hearing our recommendations as we, as we endure the long night until Andor season two, uh, you can find us online and here come the sequels.blogspot.com. 
you can find us on Twitter at HCT sequels. You can email us at he come here come the sequels at gmail.com. We are on Spotify on all the, all the good stuff, Apple podcasts and everything. Give us a like and a five star, leave a comment saying that we're the best and you love us. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> exactly. I'm giving you the, t- just as you're li- just pull up the phone, Go go to the go to the thing. Go, get, yes, go get get to the reviews. It takes an Apple Podcast a little confusing. You have to like go through, get to the episode homepage on Apple Podcasts. A little I, bit. I know you have to you have to sign in with your Apple ID at skinberg at yahoo.com. <laughs> now put in a review that says, "Can I get three hall passes?" <laughs> That's not directed at Simon Kimberg, but it's not not directed. <laughs> Look, I'm the only person who likes Dark Phoenix. He, he Simon Kimberg's yeah. my best give, friend. Give Alex five stars, if not us. Yeah, come on, Cy. <laughs> um, <laughs> where I don't want our fanforcic podcast to be over two hours. I've been Tyler. Uh, Tyler, I have one quick question. I promise it won't take it over two hours. So, does does Ben have a a brother in the comics? Probably. He's he's credited as Jimmy Grimm. <laughs> Jimmy Grimmy. All right, all right. Which all right. If this adult, takes us over two hours, I'm going to be very mad. Which means as, as an adult, because he's a manly man who needs to be respected, he would go by Jim Grimm. I've been Alex. <laughs> I think this is the longest episode we've had in a minute. I've been Britain. And you're having a, a, a gazero zeroed night. <laughs>